You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9. We have been making our way through the book of Hebrews, which has been so rich, so good for my soul. This is something the Lord's spoken to me over the last couple of years, but I pray it's been a gift to you as well from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, this rich, rich book. Um, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9, but I just want to set it up from the prophet Haggai in uh, Haggai chapter 2. He speaks of the age in which you and I now live, and he says, the glory of the, the, these latter days, the latter glory of, of the house of God will be greater than the glory in the former days. It's Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, speaking to Israel, trying to embolden them to rise to the moment, to be about God's work. And he speaks of this day that's coming when the glory of God's house will surpass the glory of these, the days in which Israel talked about, the days that Israel historically spoke about. And those are the days that you and I are living in, these days of the greater glory, when God is doing a work that is beautiful, a day in which the prophets spoke about, a day in which the angels, they long to look upon. Those are the days in which we live. And I want to rouse us to allow our eyes to be open to this moment in human history and what God is doing, what he broke open through the person of Jesus, through the coming of his son in the person of Jesus. And what I pray will be unleashed in our hearts is radical worship, selfless devotion, complete abandon, abandonment to the things of the Lord. That's what I pray will be unleashed in our hearts. Last time I shared from Hebrews chapter eight, we saw that Jesus came to be the bridge to reality, that what we are experiencing is but a shadow, but a reflection, and especially as we look at the old covenant, scripture tells us that that was just meant to uh, give, an, give imagery, give symbolism, give figurative language for the ultimate reality, which is going to be revealed in Jesus. And Jesus came to be this bridge between heaven and earth, to be this bridge from this very temporary shadow or reflection to our ultimate reality. And we're going to look at that, we're going to take that even a step further this morning as we look at the perfect blood of Jesus, the perfect blood of Jesus, the sufficient blood of our lamb, of our Jesus. Life is in the blood. Let's look at this, Hebrews chapter nine, verse one. We're gonna read through all 28 verses. I'll stop a few times, but I'll try to contain myself. We'll read through the 28 verses, then I, then I wanna give uh, kind of a summary of what I, what I believe is the main thrust of this. So it says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. He was speaking to Hebrew, primarily Hebrew and some Greek, but primarily Hebrew 
uh, believers. And so he was speaking of things that they knew a lot about. Verse six, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed, and here's a key phrase, until the time of reformation. Until that day, that great day, that day of the Lord's favor that would be opened up, that would be poured out upon humanity. The day of the year of the Lord's favor that was opened up through Jesus as he prophesied, or as he spoke that he fulfilled in Luke chapter four. Until the time of reformation. So just let me kind of explain what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He, he's breaking down the, the more intricate details of the um, tabernacle worship that took place through the priests and then very specifically through the great high priest that would go into the most holy place. And he speaks of these two sections, the holy place, the most holy place. The priests would go into the holy place and they would, they would tend to this lampstand. They would tend to this they, they would make sure there's always fresh bread on the, the showbread table. But then there was this, there was also the altar of incense. Then in the, the, the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. That's what we, that we think of when we think of the temple, when we think of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, which had the tablets from Moses. It had, it had the, the budded head of, uh, of Aaron's staff. These these kind of relics of Israel's history. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is, there is coming a fulfillment of these things. These things were but a shadow, but a reflection. These things were pointing us in that present age of sacrificial duty and priestly duty. They were pointing us towards a day when they would, be, when they would come into fulfillment, when they come into reality. All of them in the person of Jesus. We see later in the book of Revelation this use of the, the idea of the lampstand to symbolize the church. Jesus himself brings the church, the, the church into the fulfillment of what we were, what we were called to be. It's the, we, we are the lampstand in our age. We see that the, the showbread, the, the bread that sits on the altar is meant to be the, the very canon of scripture, the authoritative word of God which is the revelation of Jesus to our hearts. We see the altar of incense in the book of Revelation is the prayers of the saints fulfilled in Jesus. We see in the, the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus as our, the, the revelation of God in, in the, the tablets. Jesus is our revelation of what God is really like. We see the, the budded head of Aaron's staff symbolizing the authority that comes upon Aaron as the, the high priest, the great high priest. And we, all, we already talked about that in Luke chapter seven and eight, that Jesus is our great high priest. They were all a shadow, they were all a reflection, pointing us towards this day, this time of reformation. We live in this age of reformation, this age where Jesus said, I have come, the kingdom of God is near. 
Jesus has ushered us into this age of reformation. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, or or easily also translated to worship the living God. Verse 14 is is the pinnacle of this passage this morning. You can circle verse 14. How much more the blood of Christ? If in prior ages and prior seasons of human history, we look to the blood of of goats or calves to temporarily soothe our conscience, how much more the perfect blood of Christ. This better blood, this perfect blood. There's this constant theme through the book of Hebrews of Jesus being the better answer. He is greater than the prophets, greater than the angels, greater than Moses. He's greater than all high priests that Israel had known. And now we see that even the sacrifice that he brings is better than the sacrifices that Israel had ever known. How much more the blood of Christ, this eternal flow, the blood of Christ, speaks a better word over us. Verse 15, it says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. This is the time of reformation. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no other way. Let us never look for another way. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And I would encourage you this morning, if, that, if the blood of Jesus is an offense to your soul, then what that should cause us to do is get on our knees and make sure we understand the severity of our sin before the Lord, before a holy God. Blood speaks to the offense of our sin before God. And so if we're offended by the the gruesome realities of blood being used to redeem us, we're not understanding the brutal realities, the gruesome realities of our own offense against God. Let us not be offended by the blood of God, by the blood of Jesus being poured out for us, the perfect blood of Jesus. He uses all these kind of wordplay, play on words here in those few verses. He goes between talking about a covenant and talking about a will. I talked about that in Hebrews chapter eight, how the better description of a covenant with God is that of a will. 
And obviously a will does not come into effect unless a person dies, right? A will is, is talked about, but nothing happens until the, until the person dies. So it is with this covenant that God enacted with, with humanity. It would not come into play unless there was a death, and it would be the death of his own son. It would be the God-man himself giving himself sacrificially on our behalf. And everything is covered with the blood. Isn't that peculiar? The picture in this old covenant is the priest grabbing the hyssop branch and sprinkling blood on the altar of incense and sprinkling the blood on the people. How bizarre. But it's pointing us to this day. To this day, this, It's a shadow reflection of this coming day when everything would be covered with the blood. And the answer for our ailing souls, the answer for the cancer of our soul would be the blood of Jesus. And a, a people, childlike and foolish enough to submit themselves to the power of the blood. They say, say, let me have it. Lord, I need your blood. I am in need of a redeemer, of a savior. Let me have it. That's the age in which we live in, this age of reformation. Verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. That's what we had said, right? Jesus ushers us into reality. They were just copies. They were patterned after something, after heaven itself, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now was it to offer him, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Please allow that to sink in. We are in the end of the ages. These are the last days. The prophet Joel spoke about the, this age in which the spirit of God is being poured out. The day when we're all looking towards the horizon, towards our glorious king who's coming back for a beautiful purified bride. Verse 27, but just as it appointed, for just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Can we just pray right now? This is a holy moment, I feel like. Talking about the blood of Jesus and his sufficiency. Lord, you are welcome in this place. Even that word that was spoken earlier, that word of knowledge, we need grace to be poured out right now for us to take you at your word, to believe in the sufficient power of your sacrificial blood that was poured out for us. God, I pray over every single individual in this place that they'd be able to grab a hold of the assurance that's available in your blood. They wouldn't look to the words, the affirming words of any other person, of their spouse, of what other people think of them, their reputation, but only to the word that the blood speaks over them. I pray it in your mighty name, Jesus. You're gonna do a work this morning, I believe it, of cleansing consciences, of sweeping away shame by the power of the, of the life flow that comes through the blood 
of your precious son. We pray it, Lord. Let it be in this place in your name, amen. So this morning, as we try to understand the sufficiency or really the the perfect blood of Jesus, I first want us to look at the significance of the blood of Jesus, why it was so significant, and secondly, why it's sufficient. There's so much in here that I wish we could unpack, but uh, we'll see how how far we get. why is the blood of Jesus significant? When we, when we look at the, the types and the shadows in the old covenant of the blood of calves, the blood of goats, the blood of heifers, why is Jesus' blood better? Why is it a more sufficient sacrifice? Well, firstly, it's, it's significant because it's voluntary. This is the voluntary, sacrificial love of God. The, the sacrifice of calves, of, of lambs, of heifers, it could not be voluntary. They were being sacrificed beyond their will. They were unwillingly putting themselves up on that altar. They were being subdued by, by, their, by their master and they were being put up on the altar. Jesus turned all that on head and became a voluntary, sacrificial lamb on our behalf. Jesus himself said that I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life as a ransom. Let there never be a question as to whether or not Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. He said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. And even in the garden, in the moment, like the pinnacle of excruciating tensions of of the God man, of him being fully God and fully man. He says, not my will, but your will be done. He willingly laid down his life. Even in the foreshadowing in the book of Genesis of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac, Isaac didn't even voluntarily lay down his life for that because he was just being kind of duped. He was being fooled. I mean, he was really just in the dark. He didn't know what was going on. There was a level of trust, a voluntary trust to his father, but it wasn't to the level of our savior of Jesus who voluntarily laid down his life, both for the glory of his father, the glory of his kingdom, and for us in voluntary love. So it's the significance of the blood of Jesus because it was voluntary. Secondly, it's the product of love. It's the the byproduct of love, God being love. Sacrifices of goats and lambs and heifers, they were not capable of love. Jesus' sacrifice was beyond what was possible because it was a demonstration of of his love. He says, this is love that a man laid down his life for his friend. And he became the embodiment of that. He became the fulfillment of that definition of love. He says, this is how we know what love is. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So love is this great eternal force. As Paul tells us that that we have faith, we have hope, we have love. The greatest of those, though, the one that will endure forever is love. 
And even at the, end of the, at the end of all things in Revelation chapter 22, what do we see coming out of the very throne of God? It's this river of life-giving love from the heart of God so that speaks to the, the significance of the life flow of God that's revealed through his blood. That's better than any of the blood, blood of calves or lambs or heifers. So it's the significance of the blood. Secondly, it's the sufficiency of Jesus' blood. Why is Jesus' blood sufficient for all time? And we'll talk about this more in weeks to come as to, to why there's a sacrifice once for all. And we don't have to keep going back and repeating these sacrifices, why there can be such sure confidence in the presence of a holy God. We'll talk about that more, but the blood of Jesus is sufficient in two ways. One, it's for the forgiveness of our sins. It satisfies and cleanses our conscience. It satisfies the requirements of a just, holy God. There is this real temptation for us to want to try to get this sense of a clean conscience in other ways, from other people. We try to justify ourselves and we can kind of with itching ears go to our neighbor, go to a friend, go to a spouse and kind of ask them to, to feed us a sense of affirmation to cleanse our conscience. But that will never be enough. It'll never be sufficient. It'll, it'll never be to the level of assurance that comes from the whisper of the Holy Spirit that calls you son, that calls you daughter, that calls you redeemed, that calls you forgiven. That can only come for a personal encounter, from a personal encounter with the person of grace himself, with the person of Jesus. Only the Spirit of God himself can convince a human heart that, that you are forgiven. That is a work of the power of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus upon our lives. Nobody can do that. That's the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus to cleanse our conscience, to be able to come into the throne room of grace confidently, as we read in Hebrews chapter four. This is the first part of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. The second part of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus is this victorious new life that we are born into, that we are brought into, that we are ushered into by Jesus himself. It's not just a cleansed conscience but it's now a life of freedom over sin from here on out. I remember last week, last weekend, we just had an incredible baptism service here last Sunday night. It was, I felt like a taste of heaven. It was beautiful. All generations, young and old, gathered before the Lord and celebrating new life in Christ, but talking to one of the individuals afterwards that got baptized in water, they felt like they, they were so light. There was a lightness to their step. That's an encounter with the person of Jesus that speaks a word over them. I can't do that for them. You can't do that for them. That comes through an encounter with the person of Jesus that actually ushers them into a new way of life, ushers them into a victorious new life. Not necessarily saying perfection, but it's possible. Every, every temptation that we come to, there's always an off-ramp now because of Jesus, because of this new word that's speaking our new identity over us, this victorious new life. I remember recently reading an account from the church leader, A.B. Simpson. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, denomination or network of churches, 
And he talked about the, the revelation of the assurance that he got from an encounter with Holy Spirit himself. He talked about in his Christian life how he would, he would struggle with sin like, like we all do. And at times he was, he was tempted just to suppress those temptations and those, those struggles with the old man and suppress it. He would just try to push it down there as far as he could. At times then he'd move on. He'd be like, well, let me analyze this sin. Let me figure out where, where this is coming from and let me really understand it. What is the, the backstory to this? But then he, he, he realized something altogether different. This is what he said. He says, sometimes I would think I had gotten it and then I would lose it. What a blessedness when I came to the knowledge that I had been looking in the wrong place. When I found that victory, sanctification, deliverance, purity, holiness, all must be found in Jesus Christ himself, not in some formula. When I, cl when I claimed that Jesus, just for himself, it became easy and the glory came to my life. He finally had that revelation that as he looked at Jesus, that was the answer. <laughs> the answer of what Jesus did for him and that alone. Not our analyzing and introspection and um, you know, works of the flesh, but perfect, simple faith in the work of Jesus. As Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us as good shepherd. He says to pray like this to, to our father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that prayer of looking to the Lord to lead us as we traverse this world out of temptation into a life of victory implies that the Lord is doing the leading. He is leading us through this in victory. So he's not leading us into a trap. He's not leading us into our demise. He's not leading us so that we will fail. He's leading us in victory. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He is our deliverer. So that's the other side of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. It's for our forgiveness, the cleansing of our conscience, and also now our victorious new life in Christ. He's the victorious sacrificial lamb. He's cleansed us, but he's also given us white garments. He's also now given us new clothing for us to look differently in our behavior and our actions. Again, I'm not saying some sort of perfection, but it's possible. Every time it's possible, you know it is. That's, that has to be caked into it, it has to be baked into it. Is that every time, because you have a new identity, because you have new clothing, because you are now called holy, because you are now called forgiven, every time we are faced with the flesh, we have a way out. There is now victory in Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on him every time, every time. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys. We're gonna end with communion rightly since we're talking about the perfect blood of Jesus. There's a costliness to the blood of Jesus that I want to sink into our hearts. The costliness of God's mercy being poured out for us. His purpose in this hour is a people cleansed by the blood, brought by the high priest, Jesus, as a house for his presence. If we are to be a dwelling place for his presence, and this house is greater than the former, then our minds shouldn't be on past sin because his blood has washed us of that, he's cleansed us of that. Our focus should not be on this world 
in this present age because he has set us free from that. He has ushered us into a new reality. He is in our midst, our glorious savior, our great high priest, and our sacrificial savior. As we look at the end of this passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter nine, I want us to understand what's at stake, the sobering realities of the judgment to come. He, he says that we are all destined to die, appointed man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There is coming a day when we will stand before the Lord. And the only claim, the only justification for us to stand before him will be the word that the blood speaks over us. In that moment, we will be stripped naked of every other thing and we will stand before the Lord and it will only be his blood that speaks a word for us. It's his word that will advocate on our behalf. I pray that hits you with a sense of fearfulness. It's in that moment we won't be able to look to our spouse. We won't be able to look to me. You won't be able to look to a friend, your parents, your family legacy. It'll just be you. And on top of that, the, the scripture does say that our works will be judged, that we will be judged for the works that we do in this body, in this life. But even our works will be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. And the only ones that will stand as the, the gold like refined in fire, the pure gold, pure precious metal sort of works will be the ones that are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Everything else will be burned up. Everything else will fade away. It will only be that which is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Only that which We've done in faith in the sufficiency of Jesus. We're not doing these things to impress God. We're not doing these things to, to buy our way into heaven. We're doing it because of the sufficiency of his blood, because we've been bought with a high price. And because of that costly high price that we've been purchased with, we live our lives surrendered to him for his glory because he is the worthy lamb. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.